0: Mal, do you know what coffee I've been enjoying a lot lately? No, which one? I have been enjoying Free Lunch Coffee's Medium Dark Roast Blend. Ooh, me too. You know what I love most about their coffee, besides the rich flavor, is their mission to end hunger for underprivileged children. Each purchase from their store provides 10 meals to children in South Africa.
1: If you want to enjoy this gourmet coffee that is fair trade, and Certified Organic that also fights to end child hunger, go to their website, freelunchcoffee.com. And when you check out, use promo code those other girls 10
0: And let's end world hunger by doing what we do best, starting each morning with a cup of coffee. Hello, fellow other girls. It's Mel, and I want to tell you about the Anchor app. It's free and it's a super easy way to record, edit, and upload that podcast you've been planning to start. They distribute your podcast for you and it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so many other places. It's everything you need in just one simple place. So all you have to do is download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started.
1: you're listening to Those Other Girls. I'm Bailey.
0: And I'm Mallory.
1: And we are changing the culture and bringing back traditional values. Today, we are going to be reviewing in a two-part special episode, You're Not Enough and That's Okay by Allie Beth Stuckey. Yay! (laughs) So Mallory and I both recently finished the book we've gone through it, we've studied it, we've highlighted, we've underlined, and we just wanted to discuss what we thought of the book.
0: Yes. Also too, the sub little thing is a, It's called, it says escaping the culture of self-love. I wanted to add that just in case people weren't quite sure what it was about. So yeah, it was a very, 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 very good, needed, biblical book, biblically backed book, for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely,
1: yes. So, Escaping the, to- the Toxic Culture of Self-Love, I think you and I both agree that self-love is such a problem in our age, our generations, millennials and Gen Z, we are very focused on ourselves, our personalities, who we are. And I think we all want to believe that we are enough, that we're good enough, that we are exciting enough, energetic enough, all of, all of the enoughs. And sometimes we just aren't.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I think that because our culture has become super self-love, love yourself, you're so this, you're so that it's hard to hear these truths and it's hard to rationalize that because you don't ever hear the other side. And right. this book, I think is just, is wonderful. Like when I posted, actually, when I posted that I was reading it, when I first got it, I was reading it. I actually had a few people be like, what, what does this even mean? Why are yeah. you reading that? And I think that's, A, I'm pretty sure that's what Allie wants. <laughs> she wants people to feel uncomfortable And B, I think that is just like the perfect, like almost like a perfect representation of what our culture is. Our culture hates to get the other, like to hear other opposing ideas. And I think that this book is part of the reason why it's so good is because it's giving it other idea. And also, too, if you are uncomfortable by the title and you haven't read it, I think that reading it will help if you truly believe what you believe, it'll help you see the other side and it can strengthen you and why you believe that. And that's why you should be open and willing to hear other people's opinions on different things. That's just a side note.
1: Right. I think people saw the title and just assumed that they were going to be insulted for an entire book. And that's absolutely not what it is. Wow. Uh, You're not enough is, I think, the the worst thing that she says to us in terms of just feeling bad. But the the whole idea of the book is that it's actually a good thing that we're not enough. We're not made to be enough. And, you know, from her introduction of the book, I think that this summarizes pretty well for our introduction here and then we'll get into the the five myths that Allie has laid up for us but she says our sufficiency isn't the answer to insecurity and self-love isn't the antidote to our feelings of self-loathing and I think that that passage really stuck out to me right at the beginning is that you know self-love isn't fixing our self-loathing they kind of go hand in hand
0: (laughs) yeah yeah and I was saying earlier when we were discussing it I was saying that um I struggle personally with self-loathing, and I think that self-love and self-loathing are on the same coin. They're just two different sides. And the way to get off of that coin or to drop that coin and let it go would be to work on self-sacrifice, which we'll get into. But self-loathing and self-love are in the same—it's the same sin, pretty much, basically.
1: Absolutely. Yes. So— We'll get started here with myth number one, which is you are enough. The idea is that everybody posts, everybody talks to you, everybody says that you're enough, you're good enough, you are who you are, everything that you do is perfect and wonderful. And that's just not true.
0: Right. And I I want to really dive into the you are enough because I think that is like the start of the whole self-love thing. And I think when she talks about how it's okay to not be enough, I think we just stop right there. Like when you hear that, it's like, no, I am enough. You can't tell me I'm not enough. I am enough. I blah, blah, blah. But really the biggest thing about not being enough is God. If we were enough, we wouldn't need God. As Christians, hearing you you are enough should already be a red flag. But it's not a red flag because we hear it all the time and it sounds really good. And the part of us, the self love, self gratification part of us wants to hear that.
1: Yeah, well, and I think people want to believe, you know, because God is loving, that He created us all perfect and He created us all to be enough. And, you know, she talks about in this chapter. The idea that, you know, like therapy, medication, yoga, crystals, all of this stuff that people turn to, they think that they're just unlocking their inner perfection that God has bestowed upon us. And the truth is that, and she, she even touches on, you know, positive thinking and their natural remedies and stuff that's effective. It's not like it's all bad stuff, right. but it's not going to fix it. It's not going to, it's not going to all of a sudden unlock your inner perfection because you don't have inner perfection. You are a fallen you are a fallen human that's sinful in nature. And Jesus is the only thing that is enough.
0: Right. Amen. And <laughs> the other thing is a lot of times to get to hearing you are enough. Some of us have gone through very traumatic things. Some of us have gone through um, feelings of self-loathing. We, some people have gone through abuse. Some people have gone through so many things and you're looking for peace and you're looking purpose. And I want to read this little passage that she talks about. Um, she said the search for peace and for purpose only stops in him alone. He created mm-hmm. us. Therefore, he can only tell us who we are and why we're here. You mm-hmm. define your identity, your purpose, and your truth. That's the world's answer. Jesus' answer is me. He defines your identity, your purpose, your value, and your truth. And the thing is, we have to let that, that has to be enough. (laughs) We aren't enough. God defining who we are has to be enough. And I really do want to talk from the struggle I have personally with like the self-loathing. And I do struggle a lot with my value. And what I, whenever I'm having like thoughts, whenever I'm feeling, you know, whenever the devil gets in my head and everything, I have to remember that it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks my value is in God. So I'm not enough. And that's okay. Allie's book. Um, Mm -hmm. But God, he defines me. And when Mm -hmm. you are more concerned about how God defines you, it doesn't matter if you're, you're not going to care that you're enough or you're not enough. Like, it's not going to matter that, you know, Billy over here. Uh, doesn't think that you would make a good wife you know because because of x y and z all these things that aren't enough because god's value jesus's value is what's important
1: right and i think you know uh, my, one of my favorite quotes from this chapter is the self can't be both our problem and our solution right and i think that's yes. huge because as women especially, I know, and men too, and I've just, I've never been a man, so I can't speak to that. But I just feel like we all spend so much time in the mirror, in our own minds, in our own heads before bed, breaking apart what we said in the day, what we did in the day. And we focus so much on what could I have done better? How could I have said something different? How can I be more popular or get more likes or be a better person? And I think... The intention behind it is not to actually be a better person, it's to be more popular. Mm -hmm. And we try so hard to make ourselves perfect, but at the same time, we do struggle with self loathing. I know that, you know, I struggle so much with insecurity about, well, I'll hang out with friends and, oh, what did I say? Was that stupid? Should I have kept my mouth closed? I, I shouldn't have said that. And it's just too much self-centeredness. I'm so focused on myself that I'm not truly listening to what my friend is saying, what they're needing. And I think the whole key that you are, you are enough is is just wrong because we're not enough. And if we were enough, like you said, we wouldn't need Jesus. And she says that if we were enough, we wouldn't need Jesus to do these things for us, but we do. Without him, we're hopeless, purposeless, and dead in our sin.
0: And that's, The God-honest truth. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Another thing really quick from this chapter that I really liked, and she kind of said different variations of this throughout the book, but I just think it's such an important truth. And she says, what happens when we place too much importance on being yourself is that we justify choices that hurt us and other people simply because it's true to who we are. We convince ourselves that as long as it's our choice falls in line with who we claim to be, it's good. Hmm. And I mean, oh my goodness, how many times Have you had a friend or even you yourself had a conversation and you go, well, this is just who I am. It's just who I am. Whether it hurts somebody or not, people do not care.
1: Right. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever listened to her podcast on the the new agey stuff, but she talks about, you know, like the Enneagrams and the personality tests and people use those as a really bad tool to say like, oh, well... I'm an eight, so as an eight, I can't do X, Y, and Z. Well, as a six, I can't do X, Y, and Z because it's just not part of my Enneagram. It's just not who I am. And they hide behind that. Like, you know, people will use like, oh, well, I'm an introvert. So God couldn't use me. Look at God used Moses. Yeah. He had to use Aaron as a mouthpiece. But Moses was a fantastic leader because God worked through him. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you're an Enneagram 1, 10. I think there's only nine. But, you know, it doesn't matter (laughs) what you are, what your Myers-Briggs is. It doesn't matter. That might help us identify, you know, like our career strengths or you know, parts of our lives that we want to know more about. But when we use it as an excuse to do something unbiblical or sinful or not do something that God is calling us to do, that's where it gets really dangerous. And I think that that was, to me, a huge part of this chapter. The idea of just doing you is that you're using unbiblical truths to to make excuses to do what you want to do, not what God calls you to do.
0: That is the perfect summary, Bailey. That (laughs) was the perfect summary. Using your own truths instead of God's. Wow.
1: Yep. And, you know, that kind of leads into that next myth, which is you determine your truth.
0: Yes. And that is another one that, I mean, we struggle with that. So, I mean, how many times a day do you hear, well, this is my truth. In this chapter, she talks about real versus real. Valid
1: feelings. Mm-hmm. I thought her story about the back teeth boys, how she starts the chapter, was so cute, but it was also such a good story about deception. You know, she talks about when she got sealants as a child that her dental assistant said they were gonna put the backstreet boys on her teeth as an invisible sealant. And she believed it. And it didn't occur to her till much later as an adult or in high school that that she had been deceived, that she'd been duped, that, that, that never actually happened. And I think how many times a day does something come into our lives that just seems so little and normal and makes us happy and feels good. And so we just roll with it. And then, you know, down the road, down the line, we realize, oh, no, that's that's a sin. That's bad. That's wrong. And I just let Satan right in the door because I didn't even see it.
0: Yeah, I feel like especially now as young people, because we are just now most people we're just now developing a relationship with God. And we're just now coming to our own, you know, going to church on our own without our parents forcing us. To your point, um, that is also why we need to know the Bible for ourselves. And she talks about that. She says that reading our Bibles is critical in differentiating between truth, which leads to confusion, and the truth, which leads to life, joy, and peace. Hmm. And I think that is so important. I know that I am really working on reading the Bible for myself and knowing things because theology, I know that there's like some people who believe theology is like unimportant and not that big of a deal, but theology is very important. The truth matters. And we, the only way to find out what the Bible really says is for you yourself to read it, not to sit in church and just hear what the pastor has to say. Because at the end of the day, pastors are human and they're going to put a little, not a spin in like necessarily a negative way, but they're gonna be preaching from their under from their understanding of the Bible. And you know, Right. And she talks world, so about, you know, rather than teaching
1: right. what scr- scripture means and what it says about God, they highlight what scripture means to us and what it says about us. And so this was when she was talking about the meology theology where it's very self-centered, self-focused. So it's, what is God going to bless me with? What is God going to give me? What does God guarantee me? And that is not what the Bible is. The Bible is not like Oprah's day of handouts, where it's like, you know, you get a car, you get a car. No, God does not promise that. He promises suffering. He promises that we will be persecuted in his name. And God does use these tools. He gives us money. He gives us resources, food, clothing. He gives us all of these things as a blessing, but we're not guaranteed any of it.
0: Right. And I don't think that a lot of specifically Protestant dominations, I don't think that we think of that. The movie American Gospel, I personally love it talks a lot about this. And she actually, she's mentioned American gospel. She's had cost Stephen on her podcast before. And I highly suggest you listen to that. That was a couple months ago. And she talks about the idea that a lot of us are thinking of God, in, or in the movie, it talks about how a lot of us are thinking of God as like this genie. And like mm-hmm. uh, every message is about what God's going to do for us, what God's going to do for us. And that's just not the, that's not the gospel. That's not what the Bible is about. And the only way you know that is to read it yourself. I think we really, really need, I know I'm talking to myself as well. We really, really need to work on that. And one thing, just like a suggestion that I've been doing is this series called B. It's the B series and you can look it up on Amazon. And what it is, is like commentary on different uh, books of the Bible. So I'm reading books of the Bible just randomly throughout, just going through, I don't know, honestly, it's just like, uh, let's. Pick Colossians today. So, I'm like reading Colossians, and then I have the commentary, which gives us like the background of what was going on during that time, so you can know like because also context is super important. But I'm doing that. That's more of a study instead of um, normally I would do like a Bible study. So, like uh, the last one I did was Trustworthy by Lisa. Harper I believe. Um but I I personally like the actually like going through the Bible and reading it myself instead of like having like scriptures here and scriptures there. So I think that is something that that's a good suggestion to be able to determine truth because when you when we are going out in everyday world we have to make sure we are speaking truth and we are believing truth too.
1: Right. And she talks a huge part I think in that chapter to what you're saying is she talks about different churches and her and her husband shopping for a church. And I think that, you know, like we were talking about where money and clothes and resources and all of these things are blessings and they're tools that God uses to bless us and to work through us. I think it's the same thing with a church. You know, I think the, and she says it here, you know, the gospel, the biblical truth about sin salvation through Jesus and sanctification is preached is the most important thing. And You know, I think everybody has a different opinion on what kind of music they like in church. Some people like old hymns, some people like semi-modern, some people like really modern with six electric guitars and a giant band. Some people really like lights and fog machines. For others, that hurts their eyes. Everybody grew up in a different time. But those are all just tools for God to reach different people, for churches to reach new people, different people to fulfill a different you know, set of requirements. But at the end of the day, no matter what church you go to, no matter what music they're playing or, you know, if they have one electric guitar or eight electric guitars or no electric guitars, they just have a piano, an organ, whatever, no matter what, at the end of the day, if the preacher is not focusing on the Bible, the gospel, then Mm -hmm. it's not a good church to be going to. And I think she really sums that up well with saying any pastor whose sermons glorify and coddle his congregants rather than point them to God, his glory and his gospel is doing an eternal disservice to his congregants. And it's not a church we need to be a part of. A healthy, thriving church will base all they say and do on scripture. The good news of Jesus' death and resurrection will be at the center of their sermons, ministries and local global mission work.
0: That is the perfect um, summary. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, I'm personally looking for a church. Uh, I may have found one. I'm not 100% sure. I've only been to this church once. Um, so I, I need to, one thing I've learned is I need to do more research on it. But those are really good parameters to think about when you're a church hobby. I know because I've talked to some people. There's a lot of people who are looking for churches right now because your churches are preaching politics from the pulpit, which I do not believe you should be doing, um, on either side. I think you literally like, like what Allie wrote and Bailey just read. (laughs) That's all that matters. And, um, I think that's just something to be thinking about when you're looking for churches because we, we are we're called to congregate with the body, so we are called to be in church. I know that's right. another popular thing. People, oh, I don't need church. No,
1: I'm just spiritual or religious, but I don't go to church.
0: Right, right. And that I, I hate when people say they're spiritual but not religious. That I don't. That doesn't even make sense to me. Like honestly, <laughs> um, or like when people say, yeah, I talk to God. I know what God. Oh, so what? Really? I'm not in a religion. So then, how do you know you're talking to God? Like, who are you talking? Anyway, but that's a whole nother. I don't want to get into that during this time we really need to be listening to truth we need to be in congregations congregating with other fellow believers who are in truth because also too you know i am i have a political everything goes back to politics for me just because that's just how my mind is right now especially like with where my life is but like especially with everything going on as christians and as conservative like there's a difference between being a conservative and being a christian conservative As a Christian conservatives, we have a different calling. We have to go about things in truth. So sometimes as a Christian conservative, what you say or do is going to be a little bit different because as a Christian, your truth, truth is what we go by. And our truth comes from the word of God.
1: Absolutely. And you know, that's, and that's what she gets into next is that we're on a trajectory toward truth. And I loved this chapter because I feel like, you know, even though we're Christian, like you said, when you read the Bible for yourself, it's different and you learn something new from it every single time you read it. And what Mallory would learn versus what I would learn from reading the exact same scripture, we'd probably pick out different verses, pick out different things that stood out to us and hear different things from God because we're in different phases of our life. And so Mm -hmm. There are things that we have not yet learned are sinful. There are things that we don't know that in a year from now we will know and we'll have to repent of. And so I think people get this idea that Christians think we're perfect and that we know everything and that we're, you know, these holier-than-thou people. And it's, no, I, I don't know everything. I don't know everything at all. I'm not saying that I do, but I do think that the, I do know that the Bible has 100% of the answers. It has the truth. It holds everything we need. I may not have learned it yet. I may not have prayed for that wisdom yet. I may not be there yet, but the Bible has it. There's nothing that the Bible can't answer for us. Amen. And then she gets into cancel culture, <laughs> which I think we've talked about quite a bit in our, in our fantastic podcast. And I think we will continue to. Um, but I think too, you know, when you are trying to determine your own truth, then of course it's subjective. And so as Mm -hmm. soon as somebody disagrees with you or they dislike what you're saying, they're not going to want to hear from you anymore. So they'll get you removed from Twitter, fired from your job, suspended, whatever they can do, they will do so that you're not in their world anymore.
0: Yeah. And to your point, there's nothing you can ever do to, if, tr- if the goalpost of truth is always moving, there's nothing you can ever do that will f- be the truth. So it doesn't, it, I feel like it cancels itself out.
1: It does. And I think as Christians, we look at people and we realize that they were made in the image of God, that they are someone to be loved regardless of their opinions, their policies, their politics, their religion. It doesn't matter. They are made in the image of God. God loves them. So should we. And I think that that's so huge because when you determine truth, then you just hate whoever you want to hate. You make Mm -hmm. the rules of morality. But when we follow God's morality, we know that we can love everybody without fear because God loves us.
0: Right. And my biggest thing, whenever I talk about truth with people and like, um, I've truth, the truth sometimes does hurt and sometimes it's uncomfortable Mm -hmm. That doesn't change that it's the truth. And I always get the pushback. Well, who are you to tell us what the truth is? I'm not the arbiter of truth. And I thank God because, <laughs> you know, I. there's many times I do things that I know are wrong and that's not good. So you don't want me in charge. Um, right. But, <laughs> right. The best part about Christianity is that we do have something to go back on that has a truth that's unchanging. Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So everything in the Bible that's the truth is the truth, no matter what. So if we make up truth, it's going to change. For a while, it was true that slavery was okay. Now we have changed and said it's not true. So what's going to be next? You know, like we are humans. We are flawed. We do not, we cannot tell people what the truth is. We need something that is unchanging.
1: Right. And you can see in that slavery, you know, human error is rampant and, you know, people's opinions, culture changes. You know, so back then it was culturally acceptable to own slaves. And then everybody came to their senses and said, This is wrong. And I mean obviously not everybody did. A lot of wars were fought. A lot of lives were lost, but it was a worthwhile fight. And I think the opposite happened with abortion. It wasn't legal, which was a good thing. And then people changed their minds. And I think that we'll see culture change their minds on what isn't allowed. And that's what, you know, the next thing she gets into is uh, social justice and intersectionality. And I think it's so satisfying to know that even if your enemy doesn't have anything bad happen to them on earth, isn't punished immediately, you don't get to see it. It's nice to know that at the end of the day, God is going to be the one to distribute judgment, to distribute punishment, that I don't have to be the one to choose. You know, they say an eye for an eye, and that was written for a reason, because the natural tendency is you took my eye, I'll kill you you know, we always want to overcompensate. And how good is it to know that God is going to be just and fair and dose out the correct amount of punishment for every wrongdoing? And that includes our own. You know, we're all going to have to answer for every idle word that we say. We're all going to be punished and judged regardless of our belief in Jesus. The day of judgment does come. And Thankfully, we have the answer of Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid my sins. So yes, I was a sinner. Yes, those are words that I said. Yes, those were you know sinful, bad, horrible words, but Jesus. And that's the best words in the Bible. But God, but God, but Jesus did it all.
0: Yes. Amen. Look at you out here preaching. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just want to add, too, about what... You- talking about social, blah, 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 blah. talking about social justice, I want to add this part. So as another thing about me is I really do want to help people. And Bailey's the exact same way. Like we genuinely care about people. We genuinely want to help and like want to, I mean, also the Bible calls us to do that too. Um, so, you know, with the whole social justice thing, at least for me, it was a little confusing. Cause I knew that social, ju- the things people were saying was wrong, but I it, it was hard to rationalize why it was because, of course, you want to help people. Like if some if injustice happens, of course you want to see justice. What she says here, I think, is really good, and I'm gonna read it really quick. She says, "But our fight for the least of these needn't be lumped in with the secular world's definition of social justice. Mm-hmm. Biblical justice is both truthful and direct. It does not advocate for punishing entire groups or perceived privilege." Also, skip down a little bit. She says, Christians are not commanded to seek equal outcomes based on perceived group oppression because, first, we know that such outcomes are not possible. And I just think that is, I mean, talking about the difference between biblical justice and social justice is so important. And biblical justice is truthful and direct. Mm Mm-hmm. And God is a God of justice. Like, that's the other side note. Like, I think sometimes um, people get it wrong with Christians. People think Christians think that, or people say that God isn't, this happened and, you know, you think, you Christians think this isn't supposed to be the result. And it's not that. God is a God of justice, but his justice is for everyone. Mm -hmm. And it's based in
1: truth. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it really just shows that, Disconnect in the way that we think and the truth. You know, there is a huge gap. And even those of us who are Christians who know the truth, who know the Bible, we still fail at that sometimes. And we still try to determine our own truth or follow our own rules. And it just never ends well. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And I think the reason for that is because of the next myth, which is that you are perfect the way that you are.
0: I loved this myth um, because... (laughs) I think this is another thing that I struggled with, man. I, I feel like I've said this every single chapter, Well, whatever, I'm not perfect, um, but you are perfect. The way you are um, is something that we say. And it's something that I hear people. I well-meaning people for sure. Say to me a lot. Um, I just went through a breakup. Well, I guess not just it was February. I should be over it by now, but whatever I'm human. Um, and One of the things everyone always says, not everyone, a lot of my friends always say to encourage me, nothing's wrong with you, Mal. You are perfect the way you are. He just didn't see X, Y, and Z. Mal, you are great. Mal, da, 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 And, you know, back to the whole self thing. Once again, I'm a human being, so my flesh is like, of course I am. You're so right. (laughs) There's nothing ever wrong with me. I don't know if you guys have seen that meme of um, the Kardashian boy, Scott, uh, he's like, and it says something like, I realize that I'm perfect and everybody else is just wrong. You know, sometimes that goes through my head and that's not good and that's not right. All this to say that that is a huge lie that we tell ourselves and that we tell others. And it just isn't true. It's not true because we're human and we're fallen. And it allows us to make bad excuses for things that we do, um, which brings us to the quote I wanted to read. And it says, You're perfect the way you are leads us to accepting parts of ourselves that we should be rejecting, making excuses for ourselves, and we should be repenting and believing things about ourselves that should hold no lasting value. Hmm. And that is the biggest problem with you're perfect the way you are.
1: Right. And you're perfect the way you are is very closely related, obviously, with You Are Enough, which this is the chapter where she does touch on the Enneagrams. Um, And in my world, I feel like pride has been brought up a lot recently with this book, in the church sermons I've been going to, in talking with my husband about ourselves and about other people. I think that pride is probably the easiest sin for Satan to use because— It's so easy. It doesn't always mean that you're thinking, you know, that you're perfect or that you're amazing. But you do think like, oh, I helped this person and I should feel good because I'm a good person now. And because I helped this person, I did a good thing and I deserve a reward. And we get in this mindset that we deserve all of these good things because we're so amazing and we're so perfect. And I think that that's the way that Satan gets into our into our heads and into our hearts, is he takes something good that we did do and we should have done, but then he turns us to pride and and saying it's for our glory instead of for God's glory. And I think that's a really, really dangerous sin.
0: Yes. Yeah, and pride is in two things, too. I think pride also, too, we use... Um, We use pride in other ways in the sense of, like, I'm too proud to ask for help. Things like that, too. Mm -hmm. When you can ask your uh, brother and sister in Christ for help. And not even, I don't even necessarily mean, like, asking for money or, like, help to start something. I mean, help and like, hey, I'm struggling with this sin. And I really, because certain sins, we do need our brothers and our sisters to help us with. And, like, hey, I'm struggling with this sin. I really need some help. But mm-hmm. if you think you're perfect the way you are, like she said, you make excuses. Well, you know what? I am perfect the way I am. This is just a little tiny thing.
1: Yep. And, you know, then she leads it into body positivity because I think that, especially, again, I say this as women, I'm sure men are insecure as well. Uh, I know that I've struggled in my life. I had really bad acne. I still struggle with getting acne. I'm an esthetician. I spent six months at school, literally learning how to take care of my skin and still have skin problems. Some things are genetic. Some things are bad habits. We all gain weight. I've struggled with weight loss. You and I have had our weight loss episode. We've talked about Mm -hmm. our body, our image. And I feel like we put so much weight of our value into how we look, how, what size we are, what the scale says, what our face looks like, how our hair is done. You know, we put place so much importance on that. And this next chapter really hit me when she was talking about being pregnant and feeling fat and getting all those comments and learning that our value is in God's eyes, not in the world's eyes. And he sees us as a beautiful person carrying a new baby or a beautiful person working on ourselves. And not that, you know, God does want us to take care of ourselves. He doesn't want us to be unhealthy. You know, he wants us to glorify our bodies and use them as a temple, but he also sees our worth way past our physical bodies.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think um, uh, we have to let that be enough because I think that sometimes when you hear that, you're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I know. But, but no, 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 it's like, that's enough. Like God sees our value way past our physical bodies, like you said, and period, that's it. That's all that matters.
1: Right. And she talks about the book, and I don't know if you've read it or are familiar with it, but Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy.
0: Um, I have not read it, but I really want to.
1: Such a good book. So she interviewed her. After I heard the interview on her podcast, I bought the book. I listened to it on audiobook because that's what I like to do. Um, But this quote from Allie's book says, in her book, Love Thy Body, Nancy Piercy explains why Angelica's—and she's telling a story about a woman named Angelica—explains why Angelica's attempt at gaining confidence were failing. To be obsessed with our body is not to accept it, she writes. The abusive cultural practice of physical self-perfection encourages an adversarial relationship with our bodies. Instead, Piercy reminds us our actions should be motivated by the fact that the body is a gift from God. We have a stewardship responsibility before God to treat it with care and respect. And I just think I keep reading over and over to be obsessed with our body is not to accept it. And I think that's huge because I think if you, no matter what, where you are in your journey, trying to lose weight, trying to gain weight, um, dealing with an eating disorder, anorexia, bulimia, wherever you're at, if you're too focused on how do I look, how do I appear to people? How can I make myself better? If you're so self-focused, again, you're not glorifying God. If you look at your body as a gift from God and you say, wow, I need to take better care of this body from God, that's perfectly acceptable. We can still change our, our hair and our bodies and our makeup and do all of these girly things, but we need to be doing it with the motivation of glorifying God, not ourselves.
0: Yeah, and that's, I mean, that is a hard pill to swallow.
1: Absolutely.
0: That is a very hard pill to swallow. And I think part of the problem, or well, not even a problem, I think part of it is I mean I talk about culture all the time because I do think it's this is a cultural issue. Is that our culture puts such a strong emphasis on our physical appearance, mm-hmm. whether it's you know, praising obesity or whether it is praising touched up Edited pictures of women that are unrealistic. Our culture puts so much focus on our body and our appearance that it's hard to think about anything else.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's hard to say, you know what? Um, I'm doing this to glorify God, and that kind of leads me to this is you passed it a little bit, but um, I really liked this in um, the same chapter, and it says uh, God calls each of us not to be our best selves. But to be filled with the spirit, fruit of the spirit, which includes love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if we look at all of these things, self-control would mm-hmm. be under taking care of your body. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I can talk about myself specifically. Uh, self-control would technically be an issue that I have when it comes to eating and exercising. So that is the way I would take care of my body. But if I'm focusing on love, making sure that even though X, Y, and Z happen to me, I still show love to my friends, to random strangers. If I'm focusing on having true joy, joy is not happiness. You're not always going to be happy, but you know, always have joy. If I focus on peace, and, peace <laughs> and patience and kindness, those type of things, it's all going to fall into place.
1: These Absolutely. are the things
0: that God wants from us.
1: And I think, you know, looking at those fruits of the spirit, self-control for me is something that I am working on right now. That's probably the biggest one that I'm working on because I, like you, struggle with, and you know, in different areas, but I struggle with what I eat with when I work out. I don't do enough. I'm lazy. I, you know, I don't have good habits. I'm not really good at cleaning my apartment, keeping things clean, keeping things orderly. And that all falls under self-control and discipline to just tell myself, you know, just get up and do it. Even if you don't want to make your bed today, because it's more orderly. If you do, you know, everything that we have is a gift from God. And if we treated our own houses and our own bodies like we would if we were staying at somebody else's house on a vacation, we would put a lot more time and care into taking care of things. And that's something that for me has always been a struggle. I have never been good at making my bed and keeping my clothes clean and organized and folded perfectly. You know, I'm not good at that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. And it's not to say that you have to be perfect or, you know, your closet has to be flawless or I'm not saying any of that, but... To leave stuff lying around and not make the bed, to leave shoes on the floor, to leave clothes on the floor, to not get the laundry done. That's just being lazy. And I think it all boils down to self-control. So I do think if you have those fruits of the spirit, if you're focusing on being patient, giving grace, focusing on your faith and your love and trying to have self-control, you will naturally be healthy and clean and organ. You know, you'll naturally be the person you want to be focusing on the fruits of the spirit.
0: Yeah um also too everyone should listen to an episode of the sheologians that talks about self-control you just scroll in their um in their archives you can find it um self-control is a huge thing self-control we don't realize it but it like bailey was saying she mentioned cleaning and she also mentioned eating like those are two things that you would think have no connection but it all Mm -hmm. has to do with (laughs) self-control
1: Absolutely. Yes. And I think people don't realize that when they struggle with one, it's because they they need to go to the overall umbrella, right? Like self-control encompasses a lot of things and you may be disciplined in a couple of areas, but there are still areas of your life that you could work on. uh, And I think that that's, that's huge.
0: Yes. Um, Last thing in this chapter, um, before we close out, I did want to say this and I think, and the reason why I really want to say this, because I think this is super important. Um, She was talking about your emotions. And one thing she said is, it's important to distinguish between real and valid. Mm. Our feelings may be real in the way we truly feel them, but they are not valid if they're not based in reality. Yes. Yeah. And another thing people say to me a lot is, you know what? You're feeling that way is completely valid. And in retrospect, you know, when I'm going through an emotional moment, I'm crying, I'm upset. I'm probably saying things I should not be saying goes back to the self-control thing that I need to work on um things that probably aren't true and they probably aren't really helpful they're not that helpful yeah and hearing you know what your feelings are valid isn't that's not helpful either that's not um as friends we shouldn't be validating untruths we can be val. we can say hey how you feel right now when you a perfect example when you break up with someone you feel like the entire world is ending you're gonna die alone and mm-hmm. like I remember I told one of her I was like I don't even like cats I'm gonna to have to buy a bunch of cats that doesn't make any sense why I thought that I don't know I really <laughs> like but like having someone go yes mal you're right gosh where should we get you some cats like that's right not, Let's
1: that's get you three not kittens them. right now yeah it's not gonna help right. you and I think you know I loved exactly what you said was she she Clearly differentiated that there are just feelings and there are unjust feelings that, you know, you, you feel them. Nobody's denying that you feel sad or that you feel mad or that you feel anxious. Nobody's saying you don't feel that. What they're saying is it's not valid. It's not justifiable. And I think, you know, if you look at the Bible, obviously there's emotion, there's heartbreak, there's the book of lamentations. You know, there's so many emotions that are expressed in the Bible, that you can have biblical feelings. It's not like being an emotional person is bad, but not every single feeling that you feel is valid and good. You do need to check that feeling with the Bible and see how should I be feeling? Can I grieve over this? If I'm grieving over this, you know, like how how long? And, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us, oh, Mallory, you know, you broke up with someone, you have 10 days before you have to get over it. No, like you're okay to... Take your time and feel the feelings that you feel. But you do have to realize that some of those are not okay. Some of those are not good. You know, you don't need 10 cats. You don't need to feel like you're going to die alone or hate everybody. It's not okay to hate people. And even though we might get angry, and angry is okay, we can't hate because hate is the same as murder, right? So, I you know, I think that that chapter was extremely enlightening um, to, to hear the difference between real and valid.
0: Yeah, I think this was my favorite
1: chapter, like, in retrospect. Yeah, well, um, we're going to be on the next episode digging into the one that you were most excited for at the beginning, which is that you're entitled to your dreams. So we will pick back up on that on our next
0: episode. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Those Other Girls with Mallory and Bailey. Make sure you like, comment and subscribe on all of your favorite podcast platforms.